So let's turn to Luke chapter 12. We're going to start at verse 49. Luke chapter 12, verse 49. Jesus speaking says, I am come to send fire on the earth, and what will I if it be already kindled? Now the New Living Translation of that verse says, I have come to set the world on fire, and I wish it were already burning. So we can see here that Jesus is talking about there is a separation of those that are on fire for God for those that are not. If you back up further into this chapter that we are skipping for time's sake, uh, we can see here that Jesus is talking about the faithful and evil servants. Those that are faithful to God are on fire for him, loving him, serving him, doing what he wants done. But Jesus is saying, I have come to bring fire. I've come to set the world on fire to allow people to understand the gospel, to be born again is his ultimate goal. But we can see that he wants to set the world on fire. He says, I wish that we were already burning. I wish this was already done. I wish people was already serving God, loving God, and giving him their all. But he says, I've come to set the world on fire. He come to set the things of God in place that we could have the Holy Spirit not only in us but upon us that we could be joint heirs with him and that was going to be the difference that's going to be one of the separators for Jesus Christ is to separate us from the Old Testament the Old Covenant and to bring establish the New Covenant that we could be set on fire because remember that God is a consuming fire he wants to consume all of our lives we're to be a, a living sacrifice according to Romans chapter 12 so we can see here that Jesus is already setting that in motion by the way he's even talking in this. I've come to send fire on the earth. So verse 50 says, But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how I am straightened till it be accomplished. Now the word straightened there means to be compressed, preoccupied, compelled, or constrained. So he says, I am compressed, I'm preoccupied, I'm compelled, I'm constrained until what God has sent me to do is accomplished. Until that's done, he feels this restriction. He feels this compression upon him of, I need to get this done. This is what God has called me to do. This is what God's wanting me to do. And I want to let us know that we as believers, that's one of the things that's going to set us apart from maybe non-believers, things of that nature is, when we are truly following God, there's going to be something in us that we, we start feeling the call of God upon our lives. We may not understand it at first, but there may be this, there should be this calling upon our lives to direct us, to compress us, to compel us to say, you know, I feel called to do this. I feel like I need to do this. Even as a Baptist boy, I remember that when God called me to preach, and at first, I didn't quite feel it. I just felt like this burning, like I need to, like I need to share about Jesus. Well, okay, God, I can do that. That's that's simple. I've sung about Him all my life. I can do this. I can do that. But that felt like this burning in me, like no, 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 that's not that's not good enough. You don't. I just don't want you to sing about me. I want you to preach my word. I want you to take it to different people. I want you to share the gospel and to preach the word, not just sing about me. Preach the word. Declare the good news of God. And so. Every time that I would try to get away from it, every time I try to run from it, I felt compelled and constrained to kind of go right back to where I needed to be doing the things of God. Even with pastoring, we used to pastor years ago for for a season, and then kind of things uh, went a little bit differently. That we were no longer pastors there, uh, not out of sin, not out of things of that nature. It's just some underhanded, some political things that went on, but we'll leave that alone. But even with that, there was this thing that kept pulling pulling me to, to be uh, pastor ready, to be established, to get ready to be a pastor once again. 
And even though my heart was just like, God, you know, I'll serve my pastor. I'll serve Pastor Chris McMichael all the days of my life. I don't have to be a pastor again. But God kept pulling me that direction. And really, if we're following God, we'll feel that same pull. We'll feel that that same constraint. It may be business. It may be media. It may be teaching. It may be no matter what your calling is, you're going to feel that pull because God is pulling you that direction. Now, some people in the world... They'll feel maybe they're good at this, maybe they're good at that, but then maybe they don't feel that pull to serve God with it. They don't feel that pull to really magnify God and for Him to enhance what God has called us to do. That's the separator. Even with Jesus, we're talking about this, is Jesus wants to pull us and to use us, and we'll feel that compelling, we'll feel that preoccupied of, God wants me to do this, I really feel like I need to do this for God. Maybe it's to be a missionary, whatever the case may be. God's going to pull us that direction, and he will magnify those gifts. He will magnify and amplify those things within us to help us understand what God's calling us to do. Things of the world, they'll try to train. They'll do those. They'll do what they can to benefit themselves of maybe getting education in it, do other things. And that's all they can rely on because they're not relying on God to multiply what he's already put inside of them. But for here, we can see... That Jesus says, I'm restrained until this is accomplished. I'm compelled, preoccupied, I'm constrained until this is accomplished. Until I do what God has called me to do, I'm going to feel this pull. I'm going to feel this this compelling, this compression. So verse 51 says, suppose that I come, suppose ye that I come to give peace on earth. I tell you nay, but rather the division. And we've talked about previously that Jesus came as a sword to separate uh, family members, things of that nature. But here we can see, he says, you, you think I've come to give peace on earth. You think I've come to establish the natural government for Israel, for God's people. That's not what I've come to do. I've actually come to create division. Now, we can think, wait a minute. Jesus is the, the prince of peace. He's the king of kings. He's supposed to be, you know, make everybody into this uh, loving estate, this loving attitude where everybody can come and be one together. Jesus will do that, but it's only under his name, only under uh, his anointing, under his kingdom will he unite people. Because the people that are not with his kingdom, the people that don't stand for his kingdom, they're going to be divided because they're not going to want to allow Jesus to be the Lord and master of their lives. They're not going to want him to be who leads them. They're going to be their own God. So that creates a division. Now, the word division there means disunion of opinion and conduct disunion of opinion and conduct, a parting. So Jesus says, I've come to disunion opinions and conduct. The conduct and opinion is what's going to be the great separator of where we can define this, the separation. Jesus will be the separator, but it will be, do, do your opinions go with Jesus or do they not? Do your Does your conduct represent Jesus or does it not? So that's the division. That's the division that he's declaring he's bringing. Then he goes on to expound upon it, verse 52, For from henceforth there shall be five and one house divided, three against two and two against three. Or another translation, I want to say it's the New Living Translation, says three that are in favor of him and two that are not. Or two that are in favor of Jesus and against three that are not. So we can see that already in one house, notice it's five people in one house. This is according to what Jesus says. That three against two and two against three. So there will be this division. Why? All because of opinion? 
Well, Jesus is the Lord of my life. Well, Jesus isn't the Lord of my life. There's going to be already a division. Jesus, he rules in my heart, so my conduct is going to be this. Jesus doesn't rule in my heart, so my conduct is going to be this. You can see this division even within a household. So this is important why we all must serve Jesus. We all must walk out our own salvation in fear and trembling. Verse 53, the father shall be divided against the son and the son against the father, the mother against the daughter and the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So we can see again, Jesus gives out this picture of exactly maybe some of the divisions that really happened. It really could be any of the five they could be separated. Any of the household could be separated. But Jesus gives some of the examples. Because usually when you think of a father and son, they're usually pretty pretty close. They're usually pretty tight-knit. But that even shows the great division that Jesus will bring. If one of them serve him and the other one doesn't, it's going to create a division. Why? Because somebody is declaring, I'm not humbling myself to Jesus Christ. I'm not humbling myself to make him the Lord. I'm the God of my life. So this is dangerous. This is where we can see the great separation. But we can also take note and take courage that when Jesus says in verse 52, three against two and two against three, that means there may be unity within the house. There may be three that are in favor of Jesus Christ and they can join together and have that unity or the two that's against the three, they can join together and know that they're still serving God because they're allowing Jesus to be the Lord and master of their life, they can still have that unity within themselves. Although they may be separated from other people in their house, they're still unified because they serve Jesus Christ. Because of opinion and because of conduct submitted unto Jesus Christ, that they are unified. So with that in mind, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to start at verse 11. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 says, Now no chastening, or we would say no discipline for the present, seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Notice peace comes with the fruit of righteousness, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Peace comes through righteousness, which is a fruit of that according to what is being said here by the writer of Hebrews, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. It means in right standing with God. When you're in right standing with God, peace is there. That's a fruit of the Spirit. When you're in right standing with God, then love is there. Joy is there. There's so much that, that the Holy Spirit can produce in your life. If you'll just till up the, the your heart, till up the things of your life to say, Father, whatever you desire, whatever you want in my life, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to place in my life, eyes receive it. And by us cultivating our heart, us cultivating our life, we're doing the work for that seed to be sown into us, the word of God, the things of God. And that fruit is born in our life because we do the work of tilling our hearts saying, no heart, shut up. We're not going to be prideful. We're not going to be arrogant. We're going to allow the Holy Spirit, we're going to allow the word of God, to, to, we're going to allow the things of God to change in our life, to change the things that we don't line up with, that we align ourselves with the things of God and we can bear the fruit of the spirit in our life. So, so how does this fit with Jesus, the great separator. Hang on just a moment. The peaceable fruit of righteousness unto which, unto them which are exercised thereby. So the, the peaceable fruit of righteousness only comes to those that receive the chastening or the discipline of the Lord. It says, as this verse says, 
No discipline seems to be joyous. Nobody enjoys being disciplined. Nobody enjoys getting onto or however you want to put it. But afterward, after you've received the discipline, after you've humbled yourself and say, you're humbling yourself and say, whatever the word says, I'm going to change my life. Whatever the word says, I'm going to discipline my life because the word has maybe spanked me in this area. So I'm going to change my life according to the word of God. Whatever God maybe has spoken to me has spoken to me. So I'm going to change that. That's chasing. That's discipline. We make the changes because of that discipline, because we haven't corrected it ourselves. We can see it and we allow that discipline to come. But then afterwards, after that discipline, the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them, which are exercised thereby. Wherefore lift up the hands, which hang down and the feeble knees. So we can see here, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do when he ministered and roamed the earth? He came he lifted up the hands which hang down, means those that were oppressed, he helped. Those that were depressed, he helped. Those that were pressed down, had all these things going on in their life. They just had, it seemed like life was beating them up. The enemy was beating them up. He came and helped lift them up. He, he said he came to bind up the brokenhearted. He came to help the people that were in need. And this is the exact same command that we're being told as Christians. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down. Why? Because we have the, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Because we have right standing with God, we want to help others. We want to be able to be the ones that say, look, I, I know that you're going through this right now, but let me help you be in right standing with God. Let me share the word of God with you. Now, at that, again, they may reject that, and that's going to cause a separation. Or they may re receive it, and that's going to unite you. But it's, de it's depending on their reaction to what that invitation is. Many are called, but few are chosen. Who are the chosen? The ones that, that answer the call that is placed upon their life from Jesus Christ, from the Word of God by the Holy Spirit. So wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that, that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. So we can see make straight paths. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way. But verse 14, follow peace with all men. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We just talked about in Luke 12 that Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace on earth. I came to bring division. So if we're going to be Christ-like, that means there may be division. But this says follow peace with all men. Follow means to pursue, come after, ensue. Follow peace with all men. So pursue peace with all men. The word peace there means one, quietness, rest, means not at war or dissension. Follow peace with all men. So in other words, we can see that the writer of Hebrews is telling us, pursue peace. Pursue peace with all men. Pursue peace with everybody. Well, we already know that the only way to have peace is to be in unity. So the, the fruit of the Spirit is going to provide us peace, but that includes us being right standing with God. And as we've already seen, the peaceable fruit of righteousness are only to those that receive the discipline, so those that are walking with God. So follow peace with all men. Pursue peace with all men. That means try to get everybody you can lined up with the things of God. Allow this separator, Jesus the great separator, allow them, give them the invitation that when the separation comes for certain things, may they be on the Jesus side of the separation. May they be on the Lord's side. May they choose his side. But you, we pursue peace. We pursue that unity with all men, trying to get them to lean over onto Jesus' side. We encourage them to be born again. We encourage them to do right, the right thing. 
So we can also know that the word tells us that iron sharpens iron. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That shows that when we come together in like-mindedness, when we come together in unity of the Spirit, that there's going to be peace. There's going to be the things of God. But once you do that, there's still going to be a separation of others that would choose not to come to church, choose not to submit to Jesus Christ, choose not to be around other brothers and sisters in Christ. But it says, follow or pursue peace with all men, and holiness. So it doesn't say follow peace with all men and just follow them, pursue them, even when they're committing adultery, even though they're living in sin. You don't follow them, pursue them into their sin to have peace. You follow peace by inviting them into the things of God and you also pursue holiness. You pursue holiness and pursue peace that you may be with them and unite with them. But it says without which no man shall see the Lord. So without pursuing peace and without holiness, you will not see the Lord. Now, the word see there means to appear or perceive. You will not be before the Lord. So it's, a, it's important for us. It's vital for us as Christians to pursue peace with all men, but we also need to pursue holiness, chase after the things of God. Now, with Jesus being the great separator, yes, we need to follow peace. We need to pursue it. But we need to make sure that who we are having peace with is aligned with Jesus Christ. Because if you're aligning with the other side, if you're aligning with those that are pagans, those that are backslidden, those that are away from God, and you have peace with them, that may be a telltale sign of where your true loyalty lies. Because you're going to have peace with those that you're in unity with. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't you know, that you, anytime you're around somebody that doesn't agree with your faith, that you argue with them, that you Bible thump them, no, no, no. But true peace is what we're talking about. We're not talking about a, a idea of not arguing. We're talking about really having peace that you can be at one with. Remember the people on the day of Pentecost, they were one mind and one accord. And when they did that, history was changed because God's presence, the Holy Spirit, came in and changed the history of Christianity from that day forward. So for us to really follow that peace, to have to pursue that peace and have one mind and one accord with one another doesn't mean that, you know, that we have this, uh, as we said, this niceness toward those that don't believe, but we're really at one with those that do. There, may, there was going to be a separation from those that don't, but even with that in mind, we're still throwing the word out there. We're still giving them the word. We're still giving them the things of God so that they can choose to come over and be at peace with us much deeper than just not arguing or not getting along. It's much deeper than that, having that unity. Because the, the spirit that's within us is going to bear witness with the spirit that's in them. But what you have is when you have the Holy Spirit of God on the inside of you, and they have demonic activity, they have, even if it's a lack of demons and just, we'll say, carnal living, there's still going to be this separation because they don't understand the things of the spirit. And if you're following the things of the Spirit, there's going to be this separation. We could probably all think of somebody that used to witness to us, to give us the Word of God that kind of irritated us maybe at times. The other times it may have brought peace unto us, but when they left, maybe the peace only lingered for a little while. So if we're really wanting the peace of God, we've got to pursue after it. But it keeps us on the right side of Jesus. It keeps us on the correct side of the things of God. So verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. So looking diligently, 
lest any man fail or fall short of the grace of God. What will, what will cause you to fall short of the glory of God, the grace of God? That's to stop pursuing holiness, to stop pursuing the peace of God in your life, stop pursuing the right standing with God, stop pursuing the things of God in your life that will keep you on track. Stop pursuing the discipline that God wants in your life. As we go back to verse 11, now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. When you stop pursuing that discipline, that chastening of God, the chastening of the word that's on your life, you stop pursuing that, you're going to fall into carnality. You're going to fall away from the grace of God because if something's not filling you, if, if you, let me say it this way, if you stop filling yourself with the things of God, something else is going to come in. When you stop filling yourself with the things of God, then something else is going to come in. <laughs> Amen. So we can see here, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness. So when we stop chasing God, when we stop pursuing Him, pursuing holiness, pursuing the peace of God in our life, what's going to ensue? A root of bitterness. A root of bitterness. Well, if you take somebody who's bitter and somebody who's at peace, what's going to be the equation of that? It's going to be the root of bitterness is going to be mad at the person that's peaceable. We can probably all think of maybe family or friends or other people that we may know. When we're, we've got the peace of God working in our life, we may know somebody that has a root of bitterness in their life that you can't please them for nothing. Well, what's the separation? You're walking in the peace of God. They're not. They're following, they're pursuing peace. They're pursuing holiness. They're pursuing the discipline of God, the word of God in their life, the spirit of God. They're not. So we've got to be careful that we don't become those that, that separate ourselves from the things of God, that we have that root of bitterness springing up in us because we'll become walking away from God. We'll become those that are separated from Jesus Christ on the negative side of that. So we've got to continue to pursue holiness, continue to pursue peace of God in our life, to chase after the Word, chase after the Holy Spirit, chase after these things. Now, again, I don't want to paint some picture like you know some cartoon of being chased at chased after or chasing somebody but what we need to re realize is that this is a walk with God we're to run our race we're to walk with God so that means that there's a constant moving and if we're not careful the world will pull us this direction we get off track to accurately run a race you've got to stay on course to accurately run a path and to cross the finish line or to hit the marker to get where you need to be you've got to stay on track if you go off track you're going to get lost you're going to be out in the wilderness you're going to have these issues that are going to come forth that are going to spring up because you're off track of where God wants you to be so we've got to allow Jesus to separate us and not allow influence to pull us away from Jesus but to keep submitting ourselves to God resisting the devil whether it's as him himself whether it's sin or whether it's flesh no matter what it is, no matter who it is, it's trying to pull us away. We stay on track with God and we pursue peace with all men, but meaning we're on the right side of God. We're also pursuing holiness and staying staying in sanctification, staying in purity. What that word holiness there means. It means the behavior befitting of those separated. It also means godliness. That is what we're to pursue. Amen. So let's go back. Last verse, Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. I'm going to start at verse 22. Luke 13, verse 22. It says, And when he, and he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying 
toward Jerusalem. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. So here again, we see the straight gate. The straight means narrow, compressed. It's the exact same word that Jesus used as we saw from Luke 12. So strive to enter at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Why? Because they got off track with God. Because they were separated. They chose to say, Nah, Jesus, I don't want to be separated with you. I want to be separated from you. So verse 25, when once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut the door and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us and he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. I know you not. I don't know where you come from. I don't know where you are. I don't know where you've, where you've been. So we can see already Jesus saying this. Verse 24 again, strive to enter at the straight gate. That means when, you, when you're going, you strive to enter into the straight gate, the compressed gate, the one that's leading us where we're supposed to be. That compression of filling that pool, filling that tug of what Jesus wants us to do, of the life that Jesus has for us because we're surrounded by the things of God because it's not going to be broad and easy like the world does it. It's not going to be broad and easy like the enemy wants us to feel like it is. We're going to feel that straight. We're going to feel that pressure and that pressure is going to be from the world saying, come this way, come this way, separate yourself and come with us, separate yourself and come with us. But that straight, that compression is going to lead us right to where we need to be with the things of God. Amen. For many I say unto you, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter. They'll seek to enter. So here again is a difference between the separation of seeking and striving. Seek to enter. We don't seek. We strive to enter. And shall not be able to. When once the master of the house, the master, the master, means God. Once the master of the house is risen up, he shall shut the door. Now, remember, who's the door? John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door that people must go into to enter into salvation. That's what Jesus says. So if he's the door, so if he's shutting the door, that means that he is going to be the one that brings that cutoff. He is the separator because when that door closes, when that time comes that they shut the door, just like Noah and the ark, when that day comes and that door is shut, no man can enter in. Can you imagine how many people be on Noah's door of the ark? Saying, let us in, let us in, save us. We need, we want to be free, we want to be saved, we want to be saved, we don't want to face this, we don't want to die. And Moses said, or excuse me, Noah said, I can't open the door. I didn't shut it and I can't open it. It was God. It was God who shut the door. So there's going to come a time where Jesus is going to be that great separator that we can see that when the door is shut and he began to stand without and to knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, who did they cry out to? Jesus. Why didn't they cry out unto him before this? Why didn't they separate themselves to him instead of away from him that they could go in at the appropriate time? They chose not to. They knew to call him Lord. They knew who he was in that regard, master. They knew these the terminology. They knew the Christianese. But it says, open unto us. In other words, we, we slacked, but let us in. We slacked on the things of God, but let us, let us come in. Remember, the way that we started this with Luke 12 was the separation, the division is all based on opinion and conduct. What your opinion is of Jesus Christ matters. What your conduct unto Jesus Christ 
matters. How you see Jesus Christ, how you view Him, how you establish Him in your life matters. And the conduct that follows that matters. That is part of that great separation. Either you're going to know that Jesus is your Savior, He's your Lord and your Master, and you're going to separate yourself unto Him, or you're going to say, no, 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 I, I may want to have His form, but I don't, I'm going to deny the power. I'm going to deny, deny the relationship, and I'm going to separate myself away from Jesus Christ. And But really, the line is upon Jesus Christ. He's the separator. He's the element that everybody's going to divide over, either to Him or away from Him. So we can see here, verse 25 again. And once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut the door, he began to stand, and you begin to stand without and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. Mm. They will begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in your presence. So these are even, we could say for us today, these are churchgoers. These are people that were in the, the presence of God. They ate and drunk in His presence. They were with Him. But what did they choose to do? They, choose, they chose to not separate themselves unto Him, but away from Him. We're going to see this also goes hand in hand with what we've taught in this series of Jesus separating the sheep and the goats. The sheep, even though that they're in the same fold, they're in the, same pre- the presence of the same shepherd, there's going to come a separation to where Jesus is going to separate the sheep and the goats. And there's going to be a great divide between them two. Even though they were, they both had the same opportunity, it, it matters how the conduct is. It matters what your opinion is of Jesus Christ. That's what matters. Not who your pastor is, what church you go to. That That is neither here nor there. We go where God's ordained us to go. But the separation is how do we view Jesus Christ? Who is he to our life? And how does our life consecrate us? How does our life set us apart to glorify God, to glorify who Jesus is in our life? That's the separation that's going to matter. But he says, we have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. He says, we've heard you teach. We've heard you teach. But yet they chose not to answer the call. They chose not to separate themselves unto Jesus, but away from him. There's, I really sadly think that there's going to be many people that, that when the day of judgment comes, they're going to think about all the preachers, all the pastors, all the messages they've ever heard, all the opportunities that they've rejected and rejected and rejected of being an, able to answer the call of Jesus Christ, answer that call of salvation, whether it, whether it was for the first time to be born again or whether it was to repent and to not be backslidden anymore. There's going to be those times that people are going to they're going to have to recount that and they're going to have to recall that and be be able to process. Man, I made the wrong choice. Man, I made the wrong choice. This is why it's important for us today because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we need to make sure that we know who Jesus Christ is and who He is to us and who we are to Him. Because remember, yes, we can say Jesus is our Lord and Master, but He needs to know us. That involves a personal relationship with Him. And if we're not involved in that personal relationship, he's not going to know us and he's not going to let us in. So therefore, we're separating us, even though we're in front of him, even though we're in his presence, even though we're hearing his word, even though we're hearing and doing and participating in the things of God. If we do not know him, we're separating ourselves away from him and not to him. So may we separate ourselves to him today. Amen. 
Verse 27. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. I know you not where you are from. And then he says, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. We would say lawlessness, sinfulness. Depart from me. Get away from me. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you, and you yourselves thrust out. He says, you're going to see there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a representation of hell. That's a representation of hell. When ye shall, when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets. In other words, it's just like what we said. There's going to be all these people, all these people of God that will pass by. Because no, you got to remember, at the time Jesus is speaking this, the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're not alive. They're not alive at this, at this time. But he says, when ye shall see them. When you shall see the mighty people of God that have preached the word, that have walked in faith, that have lived in faith, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves will be thrust out. He says, you're not going to be able to stay. There's a separation. You're not going to be able to stay in the presence of God and in his kingdom. Why? Because they chose not to accept Jesus as their Savior. They chose not to accept the things of God in their life, to really have a relationship with him. Now, we know that when Jesus is speaking this, this is before his crucifixion, before his resurrection. But for today, all of us, we know who Jesus is. We should know, especially living in a region like ours, very spiritual region, religious region as well. We should know who Jesus is. Many people can ask him, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe it. Well, do you believe you're going to heaven? Yeah, well, why are you going to heaven? Because I believe I know who Jesus is. Well, that doesn't make any difference. Have you separated yourself unto him to be your savior, to be your Lord and master? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I believe he's there. No, no, no. That's not what's going to get us into heaven. It's knowing Jesus, separating ourselves unto him, knowing him in a personal relationship. That is what the difference is. That is the key element in, in making it to heaven. So verse 29, And they shall come from the east, and from the west, and from the north, and from the south, and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. You mean they're all coming at the same time? From the east, from the west, from the north, from the south? And they're all going to sit down in the kingdom of God? So that should tell us right there that it doesn't matter where you're from. No matter, It doesn't matter your location, your, geogra your geographical location. It says all. They shall come from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south. Well, praise God that every direction, all the people get to come and sit down in the kingdom of God. So that shows you it's all about knowing him. It's all about knowing Jesus Christ and making it to God the Father through Jesus. Because remember, Jesus, as we've already stated, John 10, 9 says, I am the door. And he also says, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. If any man comes any other way, he's a thief and a robber. And you can't make it to God without going through Jesus Christ. So again, Jesus is the great separator. He separates those who submit to him and he separates those who don't. So verse 30, And behold, there are last which shall be first, and there are first which shall be last. So we can even see, and we know this verse, there's other, uh, other verses that kind of reflect the same thought. The first will be last, last shall be first things of that nature. But when we see this, we got to remember that the kingdom of heaven is inverted at times. The first will be last. The last will be first. The way to 
The way to have gain is to give away. The way to go up into heaven is to humble yourself. <laughs> so we can see that all these things are inverted to our mind that is carnal and fleshly at times. So the things of God, his ways are higher than our ways. We don't understand all of his thoughts. We don't understand all of his ways. But when we apply the word of God, it helps us to understand it's not about us. It's about him. It's not about do we believe in Jesus Christ? Do we believe he was the son of God? Yes, that's important. But who is he to you and who are you to him? So we've got to make sure that in that separation comes that we're aligning ourselves with Jesus the right way and on the right side of that. Amen. That we're found as sheep. We're found as wheat. We're found as every analogy that Jesus teaches, everything that he lays out before us. We find ourselves on the right side of Jesus Christ. Amen. So may we do so. I want to read one last verse. So I just want to give us an encouragement here. One last verse. First John. First John. Very familiar scripture. We read it quite a bit. We cover it every so often. I want to, I want to encourage us tonight. 1 John 1, 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So even in this verse, we can see there's a separation. But as we've taught also, if, if we confess our sins. So that means the choice is ours. We can, we can choose to confess then he is faithful and just to forgive us. Or if we choose not to confess our sins, not to make Jesus our Savior, not to make him our Lord and Master, then we're not forgiven of our sins. So again, Jesus is the great separator. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He's justified to forgive us our sins. That's a chasing after holiness. That's a pursuing peace. Why? Because you want the peace of God working in your life. You want to pursue peace with Jesus Christ. You want to pursue with all men because you want to bear the fruit of the Spirit in your life. But really, you're pursuing holiness and pursuing peace on the inside of you. That way you can have peace no matter who comes and goes, no matter who's around you, no matter if you are just bringing up the Holy Spirit, having the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, you convict somebody else. You've still got the peace of God in your life because you're not trying to offend them. You're not allowing them to offend you then you're just, you're just living for God. And that peace that passes all understanding on the inside of us helps us. But it only comes through Jesus Christ. And that comes through pursuing Him, pursuing holiness. And He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to cleanse us from everything that, that leaves us in not right standing with God. He cleanses all of that from us. But we've got to pursue him. We've got to separate ourselves from our sin. How, do we, how can we be separated from our sin? By Jesus Christ. When we confess our sins, then he is the great separator. He divides our sins away from us. Just as if, they, just as if we've never sinned. Just as if it never took place. He divides us. He separates us from our sins. And he separates us from our unrighteousness. And makes us in right standing with God through his blood, through Jesus' blood, through right standing with God. So may we choose today to follow after Jesus, to follow holiness, to pursue after peace with all men, but may we be separated unto Jesus Christ and not away from him. Amen. Amen.